Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Hi, everyone. How you doing? Good to see you. Glad you're here. It is good to be together. Whether you're here in person or online, it's wonderful to be able to worship together. Thank you, worship team, uh, for leading us this morning. Uh, I, I hope you all had just a sweet sense of the Lord's Spirit as we were singing, and I'm excited to worship a little bit more uh, together at the end of our time at the service. Well, we had a great beginning last week as we started our Nehemiah series. Uh, we kicked off uh, looking at this powerful little book and this really compare, compelling character uh, n- named Nehemiah. And I hope that that was a meaningful uh, time for you as we began to look at uh, at Nehemiah and uh, asking the Holy Spirit to move powerfully amongst us. So we began by looking uh, by uh, giving a little bit of background to the book of Nehemiah and a more focused look on Nehemiah's response when he got the bad news that things were not going well back in his homeland as they started to rebuild. We talked about the idea of a holy discontent. That is a deep God-given given longing for something to be different. <laughs> That's what Nehemiah's initial response was. Oh God, I want it to be different than this. He wants it to be better for his people and he wanted to see the kingdom of God thrive in his time. We were inspired to wake up to our own God-given holy discontent for our time and our world and our neighbors, our neighborhoods and our workplaces. God, wake us up to respond like Nehemiah. But we also recognized that there's so much hope because God can actually do something about the need that we see. Amen? Woo! It's like, all right, we're with Nehemiah. Let's do this. (laughs) But Nehemiah, after hearing uh, this bad news, what it tells us is that he wept and he prayed and he fasted and he cried out to God. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the rest of chapter number one, which is the record, which we have that prayer that Nehemiah prayed after his response of being discontented, wholly discontented. So now I know I, we just finished a series on prayer a couple of weeks ago, and we're moving right into Nehemiah. But uh, I really love how one series connects to another, and I'm really excited to kind of offer, I think what we're going to see today is a really practical way to pray when maybe you don't know how to pray or or something goes horribly wrong in your life and you don't even have words to pray. We're going to see a pattern that we can use, which is incredibly powerful. And the other thing I hope that we can do is connect the pattern of prayer that we see in Nehemiah to to something that's happening in our time and in our world today. But what I really love about this is we're actually going to see Nehemiah pray many times over the course of this book. This is the first of nine recorded prayers in the book of Nehemiah. It's awesome to be able to see a broad range and spectrum of prayer in the life of Nehemiah. Uh, Sometimes they're longer and he quotes a lot of other scriptures. Sometimes they're shorter, like praying something right before you do something like, oh, God, help me. Here we go, you know? (laughs) So we see all of that in this book, and it's, it's really, really great to see. So prayer is one of the greatest benefits of the Christian faith. I think many of us might agree with that. The fact that we can pray, whether individually or corporately, and know that the God of all creation listens, hears us, and can respond in any number of ways. That's incredible, right? (laughs) 
One pastor I read this week wrote, or said this, we have access to God in prayer. Think about what that does to your posture and your perspective. It means that you are never really truly limited in any circumstance or situation that you may face because you have access to the unlimited, access to the eternally wise, access to the most powerful and the sovereign God of the universe. Yes and amen. (laughs) So I'm so thankful for that, especially as we face difficulties and hardships, the unknowns, fears, in our life, in our day-to-day life, whether they're small situations or large. And I think this is certainly the case for Nehemiah as he hears about this situation that breaks his heart and he knows that he can go to God in prayer. And so he feels deeply this prayer that we're just about to read. And in his distress, he cried out to God. So we're going to look, we're going to read this together, Nehemiah 1, uh, 5 through 10, and it reads like this. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying day and night for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you have given us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place that I have chosen for my name to be honored. And the people that you rescued uh, by your great power and strong hands are your servants. What a pretty incredible prayer. So there's a couple of things I think uh, that we need to notice from this. First, I love that Nehemiah goes to prayer in a moment of crisis. Sometimes that's difficult for us to do. That that might be our initial response in the moment of hardship. But we mentioned this last week. Nehemiah doesn't run away from the discomfort that he feels in the situation. And uh, and neither does he despair. and, And neither does he try to take matters into his own hands. All things that we can try to do sometimes. This is a prayer, a desperate cry to God, and it's one that we should pay attention to. I want to highlight three parts of this prayer uh, that I think uh, are pretty significant and encourage us to try this out. Um, In fact, the other thing I think I I already mentioned, um, the other thing I want to do is to tie this pattern of prayer to what we're seeing today in our world, especially what's happening uh, at the revival at Asbury. Because I think what we're seeing is that what's happening there match has matched this pattern that we see in Nehemiah. So we can see that this works powerfully in our day to day. And so I would ask as we look at this, would you just open your heart and open your mind and ask God for a powerful move of his spirit? Whether that's in your own life or maybe even here as we're sitting together. A desperate cry, God, you need to do something. We want you to move here and now. So this pattern of prayer is very practical. And I love it. It's actually an ancient practice pattern of prayer, even for Nehemiah. And it still has power for this day today. Uh, what's incredible is, uh, so it's, it's, it's a pattern that Nehemiah has learned from some really famous 
people that have gone before him. So we see the same type of pattern in prayer uh, in people like Moses and Solomon and David, Jehoshaphat, Daniel, and even Ezra, his contemporary. So what's really cool is that as we look at this, it's almost kind of like a liturgy of prayer, a pattern that's known to Nehemiah, a pattern that's been practiced, and one that he puts in place. So we don't want to be formulaic with the things of God, right? But uh, sometimes we can learn from those that have gone before us. So this is a biblical pattern of prayer, and it's powerful even to this day. So the first thing that Nehemiah does in prayer is he exalts and adores God. That's where he starts. He doesn't know what to do. Things are broken, not going well. Okay, let's start by exalting and adoring God. So when everything goes wrong, maybe when it feels like there's a sinking ship and we're uncertain of what's ahead, or if we're just simply hungry and desperate for God, the first thing we should do is praise. The first thing we should do is worship. Exaltation and adoration of God does this really cool thing when you feel undone, when you feel disoriented. It snaps us back to the right posture. We realign our heart and mind to the reality that God is on the throne and I am not. Praise the Lord, (laughs) right? That's, that's a reorientation that we often need, and it happens first in this type of prayer. I, you can imagine, Nehemiah is like, I don't know what's happening, God, and I'm desperate for something to be different, so let me realign to the way I should be thinking, the right way. You're on the throne. I can trust you. You're sovereign. You know, one of the most, uh, we've talked about this before too, but uh, the word that's most often used in the New Testament for worship is this word called proskuneo. It's the word that we get uh, prostrate from, right? So oftentimes when you read in the New Testament the word worship, it's saying that we are to be people that are prostrating ourselves before God. And that has two aspects of it. One, that we fall down in worship because God is God and we are not. And when you're in his presence, you better get on your face. (laughs) The second of it is... uh, a willingness to surrender ourselves. This is the first thing that we do in this type of prayer. God, I'm in your presence. Praise be to the only one who's worthy of my praise. I surrender myself. Powerful way to start when you're connecting with God in prayer. Connects us again, reorients us to the reality of how, how things are. The foundation of all things is that God is sovereign and he's on the throne. He's our anchor, the creator and sustainer of all things and the only one worthy of praise. That's where we start. Nehemiah, verse 5 and 6, said, this is, Then I said, O Lord, this is how we started, O God of heaven and the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. He starts with praise and adoration. One commentator I read this week said this, Nehemiah exalts God. He focuses throughout this prayer on eight relevant aspects uh, of God's nature. And although Jerusalem's need is driven into the presence of God through this prayer, the city's problem is soon dwarfed by the awesome sense uh, of God's majestic glory. Within moments, he's exalting a God who is sovereign, mighty, holy, loving, faithful, vocal, attentive, and merciful. (laughs) Woo! Yeah, that's our God! What a way to start orienting ourselves when you feel like all things are going wrong, when things are not good. Nehemiah knows that his God is almighty and his power has been evident throughout history. From the beginning of their story to where he is now, he knows that God has been faithful and has come through time and time again in the course of Israel's history. And you know what? 
We know because we've experienced our God being faithful from the beginning of the story to our time here and now, in our lives, in our day. Amen? He's brought them through. He's given them comfort and continues to lead them. So even when we do our best, there'll be times maybe when we need a little spiritual realignment. (laughs) Look to God, exalt God, adore God, and let him reconnect your heart and mind with the truth that he is on the throne and he is sovereign and he is trustworthy. I think uh, I'm going to we're going to connect this to what's, what we're seeing in our world today. This is how the revival started. The, the awakening started at Asbury with authentic, desperate worship of God. One of the things uh, that I love, the reports that are coming out is that <laughs> this is all student-led that's been happening. They're not letting any professionals come in, no professional preachers or celebrities. Those people can come into the room if they want, but they got to sit with everybody else. These, this is being led by students who are desperate for God. There's no production. It's a guitar and it's a piano and they're worshiping. Incredible. Timothy Tennant, the president of Asbury Seminary, wrote this this last week. Something special has happened last Wednesday at the chapel of Asbury University. By the way, we talked a little bit about this last Sunday. Uh, it's still going. So if you, maybe, maybe you are noticing it's getting, the, it's getting uh, bigger in terms of the, the uh, reporting on, of the, on this. But it's been going for a week and a half nonstop now. Something special happened. The Lord began to move in, <coughs> excuse me, the Lord began to move in the lives of a group of students. These embers have now been fanned into a flame and there is clearly a definite move of God in our midst. We should not spend too much time looking for human causality, though there have been many praying earnestly uh, for years for this. It is first, last, and foremost a tribute to the grace of God to reveal himself and to call a new generation to faithfulness at a time when we most need it. There comes a point when people, the people of God become tired of casual prayers Sorry, I'm moved by this. This is, um, I'm stirred by this, and I want this for us too, so excuse me. There comes a point when the people of God uh, become tired of casual prayers and move to the point of desperation, which opens up fresh new ways of God's surprising work. That is what I've experienced over the course of this last week. Incredible. Young people leading the way. Praying and seeking God. Uh, And it started with this exaltation and adoration. Lord, let that be a primary characteristic of who we are. Amen? (laughs) So the next thing that we see uh, from Nehemiah's prayer is a willingness to confess and repent. And uh, this can be difficult, can't it? (laughs) But look at what Nehemiah does in verse 6 and 7. Look down and see me praying day and night for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly, not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave through your servant Moses. So immediately after praising, exaltation, adoration, uh, and this reorientation of a wayward heart, (laughs) Nehemiah confesses where he and his people have gone wrong. There's an intensity and an honesty to the confession here in this prayer. I think Nehemiah is looking back at the story of his people and he's going through all that he knows, the ways that his, he, his people have, have followed God and then not followed God, followed God and not followed God, right? That's kind of the, that's the typical pattern we see in Scripture. That's the typical pattern for you and me. 
And he's confessing these things to God. He made no attempt to excuse his people, nor did he pray for them as someone detached from their past and repeated failure. He knew that he was not exempt from blame, and neither are we. Nehemiah recognized that he was as great a sinner as anyone else in his day. And I'm wondering if, as he's in this mode of confession, he has some of these promises of God about what happens when you confess and when you pray, when you follow God and are faithful. Places like from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 2 and 3, where God says, If at that time you and your children return to the Lord your God, if, if you obey with all your heart and all your soul all the commands that I have given you today, then the Lord God will restore your fortunes, and he will have mercy on you and gather you back from all the nations when he has scattered you. I bet this is on Nehemiah's heart, and he's desperate for this regathering promise of the Lord. Breaking the bond of sin through confession and repentance is the hallmark of any spirit-led awakening and revival. It's tough because we don't like to do it. But if we want a fresh and powerful move of the Lord, it's necessary. Nehemiah recognizes this and and is desperate for, for nothing to get in the way of God's renewal for his people. When is the last time that you sat down and prayed in confession and repentance. Deep repentance and confession has always been a hallmark of the most powerful moves of God, especially in the renewal movements that we've seen throughout history. And this is happening again today as well at Asbury. Again, uh, Timothy, uh, president of the seminary, Timothy Tennant, writes this. However, a deeper look at this outpouring reveals It has the same elements which are found in any authentic revival. People repenting of their sins, confessing. People being filled with the Holy Spirit and men and women finding reconciliation with God and their neighbor. People capturing capturing renewed love for Jesus, the gospel, and the Holy Scriptures. All the above has been happening here day after day. There are so many reports uh, of stories of these prayerful repentance and confession happening there, coming out of Asbury. And students are being set free, and they're experiencing forgiveness and freedom. Authentic confession and repentance is important to a move of the Spirit of God. And it's the second thing that marks this, this powerful pattern of prayer. So we have exaltation, we have adoration, <laughs> we have confession. And the final thing that we see from Nehemiah's prayer is that he looks forward to, uh, to the future with gratitude and hope. Gratitude and hope. So Nehemiah uh, 1, 10 through 11, the people, he says, that you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Grant me success today by making the king favorable to me, which is, we'll get to what he's asking for right there. It's a really cool thing. Um, but grant, grant uh, me success today by making the king favorable to me and put into his heart to be kind to me. And then we talked about this last week. This is kind of at the very end of that. This is like his humble brag. Oh, by the way, I was the king's cupbearer, uh, which is kind of this really cool. We talked about what that looks like. That was actually a pretty incredible position of, of some influence. <laughs> So after Nehemiah's confession of sin, he doesn't, um, he doesn't, as one commentator put it, wallow in prolonged introspective examination of his failures and those of his fellow Israelites. He reflects on God's greatness, and he reminds God of his mighty acts. Hey, God, do you remember what you did for us? (laughs) We need you to do that again. (laughs) 
I think I've mentioned this before, but we, we see him using some language here that's a shorthand for, for the people who are reading this. Shorthand to one of the most famous events in the Bible. When Nehemiah says, your great power and your strong hand, that's a quick reference to the Exodus. To when God brought his people out of Egypt. Nehemiah prays, <laughs> and, and he's, he, as he prays, he's inspired. Something great takes hold of his mind. The truth that God has acted decisively in history, saving his people. And Nehemiah is confident and asking God to do it again. <laughs> and again and again, save your people again. Renew, restore, move. God's people were scattered and yet Nehemiah reminded, remembered God's promise to gather his people once more and give them a hope and a future. And again, I wonder if he had promises like this in Second Chronicles chapter 7. Where, where it says, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear them from heaven and forgive, them, uh, forgive their sins and restore their land. We know that verse. We hear that often, right? But that was a promise that was given to Solomon at the dedication of the temple that got destroyed. And Nehemiah is longing for that again. And again, just one more time to connect how this pattern of prayer is powerful and is still working today. This is kind of an application thing for us, and I hope it's inspiring your heart and mind to, to want something more from what God, for what he has for us. Again, from this uh, article that was written by uh, Timothy Tennant, he writes, An awakening is where God begins to stir and awaken people from their spiritual slumber. This is definitely happening, not only in Wilmore, Kentucky, where the school is located, but, this is, but, this, but as this move of God spreads to other schools and communities across the nation and even the world, there may be reports that this is, there are many reports that this is exactly what's happening. But we must keep our, our hearts and eyes fixed on Jesus and ask him to complete the work that he has begun so that over time there's lasting transformation in the lives and the communities of those who are being touched by God. <laughs> there's hope. <laughs> there's hope as we look forward, as we, as we do these things that God will continue to rescue, renew and restore and move in fresh and powerful ways. Uh, I'm so filled for hope, with hope at what God will do in our time, in our day, it's renewed in me, and even in our church and in our neighborhood. Uh, a number of our uh, pastors and even some of our bishops have visited uh, the school there. And uh, what Bishop Linda Adams shared a reflection on Facebook uh, about what's happening and about the hope that, that we have, maybe for, even for our young people to step forward and lead the way here for us. This uh, author wrote this, In each move of the Spirit of God... Uh, in each move, the Spirit of God clearly manifests in a specific way for that generation. I find it interesting that God would mark this particular outpouring with a tangible sense of peace for a generation with unprecedented, <clears throat> unprecedented anxiety. Uh, a, a restorative sense of belonging for a generation amidst an epidemic of loneliness. An authentic hope for a generation marked by depression. And a leadership emphasizing protective humility in relationship with power for a generation deeply hurt by the abuse of religious power. And a focus on participatory adoration for an age of digital distraction. <laughs> it feels as if God is personally meeting young adults 
in a way that's particularly meaningful to them. God, once again, is moving and delivering in a way that's needed. <laughs> it's so encouraging. I just think about what potential that has, that, that will come of the people who are experiencing this. And even for us now, as we, we get to see firsthand a powerful move of God in our time. Nehemiah knew that God had spoken so clearly in Scripture about what he would do, gathering his people again from the farthest places, promising to bring them back to this place that he had chosen, that he was capable of filling his promise no matter what. Nehemiah remembered God's unchanging promise, his unfailing resources, and his incredible love, and we are seeing that again today. God, may it be true of us as well. Amen? <laughs> I just keep having this wake up sense of what we're reading in scripture and what we're seeing in the world today. Bring renewal to us today, Lord Jesus. That is our prayer. That is my prayer. And that is, I pray, I hope you will join me in that prayer for us here at Crossview and all the ways that we are connected in all kinds of different places. Amen. (laughs) Worship team, would you come on back up? We're going to spend a few moments, again, just in worship. And I just would ask you to open your heart and mind to the move of God. Uh, And as you go throughout this week, maybe try this pattern of prayer and be ready for God to do something powerful, right? Start with adoration and exaltation, praising the Lord. Then move into a time of confession and repentance. And then look forward with gratitude and hope at what God will do, knowing what he has done. He can do it again. (laughs) Let's pray for that. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? Let's pray.